Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, I am super excited to be here today, not just because I always enjoy hosting the podcast, but also because I am about to head out on a two-week vacation, and let's face it, there is really nothing better than being about to head out on a two-week vacation, and I'm going to completely unplug while I'm away. I'm not going to do anything college admissions related at all, and if anyone brings the topic up, I'm going to run in the other direction and say I have no idea what they're talking about. Because when I come back, I'm diving straight into it, and I probably will not resurface until after November 1. Uh, And so for those of you who are seniors and getting ready to dive into this yourself, first of all, you already should have been diving into it. We've been talking about that all summer. Um, But uh, get ready, because the tough stuff, uh, you're in the the final stages of the hard work part, but it is coming. Uh, Today in office hours, we're going to be talking about changes to the common application that just debuted uh, yesterday on August 1st. We're going to be talking a little bit about those. And we're also going to talk about need-based financial aid awards and why those can be different depending on um, the different schools that are awarding them. But before we talk about all of that, I'm really excited today to talk about accelerated degree programs. It's certain something that we hear about from our students from time to time and certainly something that parents can be very interested in. And so I'm really excited to welcome Megan Courtois to the show today. She is actually pursuing an accelerated physical therapy program. So she's going to talk to us about, um, you know, kind of coming up with those decisions herself. So welcome, Megan. Hello, thank you for having me today. Absolutely, we're super excited to get your perspective on this whole question of accelerated degrees. Um, Tell me a little bit first, as we get started, where are you currently in your studies? And um, you don't necessarily have to tell us your age, but maybe you could tell us when you graduated from college so we can get some, I'm from high school, so we can get some perspective on that. Right now, I'm in my third and final year of physical therapy school at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia, Um, but I graduated high school in 2013. Then I went to Muhlenberg College, where I was accepted into the accelerated physical therapy program, and I did three years at Muhlenberg College, and then now I'm finishing up my three years at Thomas Jefferson University. Got it. So basically, and I be graduating this coming May, 2019. This May. So essentially, you graduated in 2013, and within six years, you're going to have your doctorate in PT. Correct? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's that's correct. And of course, that is the thing that's so excited, exciting about an accelerated program. So back when you were a high school student. What was it that, um, how did you find out about accelerated programs and what made them appealing to you? Um, So, as you know, my aunt is actually um, a college admissions counselor and I I was a dancer throughout um, my whole entire life and I was having, I was struggling with going to college and giving up dance. 
So, um, and I knew I wanted to pursue physical therapy. So she actually brought to my attention these accelerated programs um, and that uh, physical therapy is an option at many schools. And one school I was looking at in particular was Muhlenberg College, and I happened to stumble upon their physical therapy program. Um, and I actually saw that you could be a dance major and participate in the program. So I sort of stumbled upon that on their website, did a little more research into it. Um, and then from there, I interviewed for the school, and then I interviewed for the program. And through that interview, I found that it would be a perfect fit that I'd be able to major in dance while also taking all of the prerequisites for physical therapy school. So I just went ahead and I only looked at that one um, accelerated program, actually. Yeah, and that's actually interesting because generally speaking, when you're looking at accelerated programs, I think most students will look at more than one. So for you, it sounds like the school and some of the other things they had to offer came first and then the accelerated PT program was kind of icing on the cake. Would that be an accurate assessment or? Yes, that definitely would be. And I found that this, I was just so excited when I saw I could have such a specific path and I didn't think that would be possible. So I sort of just, everything worked out and I just kind of decided to go for it and switch my application to early decision once I was um, interviewed for the accelerated program. Got it. And one thing I do want to point out is that one of the reasons that most students are going to apply to more than one accelerated program is because accelerated programs tend to be very difficult to get into. And so if an accelerated program is something that you're going to focus on as a student or parents who are listening, if you it's something that you are interested in for your student, uh, it's really important to cast a wider net typically than just one. Although here we have Megan who's breaking that rule. Um, that rule of thumb, um, which is great in your situation because it worked out really well. And I also think, though, that what is intriguing to me about this is that for you, it was this particular program at this particular school that really made sense for you. And it was less Mm -hmm. that, you know, you just wanted to get it all over with and more that this was just the right thing for you. And I think what we see there is when everything is a good fit, that this can be the result that you actually, um, that it all works out the way that you're hoping it will. And yeah, now that I can say it has. Yeah, well, which is awesome. And actually probably is, is a, already leading into the answer for my next question for you, which is, you know, is there, would you change anything? Were you happy? Are you happy today with the decision you made six years, well, five years ago? And um, is there anything or, you know, why are you happy with that decision? And if you're not as happy with it, why not? Um, Yes, I'm very happy with the decision, um, especially now that I'm entering my third year of physical therapy school. It just feels like I can't imagine having another year to go. So it's a very... um, good feeling to know I just have one year left at this point. Um, But going into applying to the program, I didn't realize how much I saved myself the headache of applying for physical therapy school while I was in college. So I actually didn't end up having to take the GRE. I didn't have to send applications or interview again for physical therapy school in college. So that was really beneficial, which was something as a high school student, 
I didn't even consider when I was thinking about accelerated programs. So in that respect, I was very, um, very happy with my decision. The one thing I would change is I would have tried to squeeze in studying abroad. I sort of just immediately thought with the accelerated program, I wouldn't be able to do it. So I didn't really explore that option. But Mm -hmm. I think that um, that's one thing that I wish in my college experience I could have done. So that is something I would definitely try to somehow squeeze in, whether it be a summer semester or something along that nature. But that's the main thing I would change with the accelerated program. With the program that you did. And to your point, you're not saying that the accelerated program prevented you from doing it, just that maybe you didn't think that you could or you didn't really look into it. And now in retrospect, obviously it's too late. You're almost done. Um, But that it was something that you maybe keep in mind. And other students who are in the program with you, um, well, was there, were there a group of other students in the program with you? And do you know if all of them felt as great about the decision as you did? Were there any people who maybe decided it wasn't for them or regretted the choice? Yes, there were actually um, one student decided not to, he was a football player and he decided not to continue with the program because he didn't want to miss out on his senior year of playing football. So Mm -hmm. he ended up um, um, ending the program and ended up applying to other physical therapy schools closer to his hometown. So he still went to physical therapy school, but um, didn't stay in the program. And then another student, she decided in college that she actually wanted to go to medical school, so she decided to switch out of the program as well. But other students continued on with the program and went to Thomas Jefferson University just like me and are just as happy. Got it. Is there anything that you would say is similar about those students um, in terms of I don't know, just are they, in your opinion, kind of decisive? Do, they, do, they, do any of them have similar personality traits? I'm not going to lead you to say what I think is the case. Um, let me ask you that question. Um, you know, if you see similarities think, amongst yourselves. Yes, I think they're very goal-oriented, um, and we all knew from the start, or at least most of us knew pretty definitively that we wanted to go to physical therapy school. So we all sort of just, made that decision and went with it. Um, I think it's funny because I'm not a very decisive person. That's probably the only decisive decision I've made, I feel like, that I've stuck with and feel confident in. But I think everyone's very, um, a little more type A, I would say, that have been in the program because you only had a certain amount of time to get specific classes and requirements done. So I found that everyone was always very on top of planning and their schedules and whatnot Mm -hmm. um, and just had the general same interest in physical therapy. Yeah, obviously interest in physical therapy Mm -hmm. is super important. The thing I always worry about with high school students in particular, but I mean, I find it in people of all ages is just committing to something to doing something that you're going to commit to for the next six years that leads you to Mm -hmm. a career that then in theory, anyway, you are committed to for, you know, 30 years, 40 years, who knows. Right. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that so many 17 year olds, 18 year olds are necessarily prepared to make that decision in that moment. But 
um, it's so it's it's nice to see that at least in your program, um, the majority of people who started it are still really excited about it and continuing to pursue it. Um, mm-hmm. Any advice that you would give to any of our listeners who are high school students um, considering doing an accelerated program, whether it's PT or something different? Mm-hmm. Yes. One thing that I wasn't um, thinking about in high school was scholarships for graduate school. So I was, um, I was talking to the undergraduate school about scholarship and applying for scholarship there, but then I didn't even consider applying for a graduate school scholarship at the time. So what I found um, was sort of a mistake on my part is I waited until the year before I was going to graduate school to then inquire about scholarships. And at that point, they were focused on giving scholarships to people, to other students that they were trying to get to go to their school as opposed to me, who was already accepted and committed to the school. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wasn't really a good candidate for scholarships since they already knew they had me. So that's something I would, um, as a high schooler, if you're accepted into an accelerated program, try to negotiate early on because another student in my program did that and she actually ended up go, um, getting scholarship as a high schooler for graduate school as well. So that's one piece of advice I wasn't even thinking of, but I wish I had known. Um, mm-hmm. And something else is finding another student that's maybe a year or two ahead of you in the program to get their advice on with specifics in terms of classes, scheduling, um, and then once they're in that um, second schooling, getting their advice on um, what to expect once you're in the next program and things like that. I had a really great um, student mentor, I would call her, who was two years ahead of me, and she really helped prepare me for what to expect each step of the way. And and was the mentor someone who was assigned to you or just someone that you kind of took it upon yourself to to befriend and, um, and ask mm-hmm. questions of? Yes, I kind of took it upon myself. We just... Um, she was also a dancer, and we ran in similar circles, and she was just a very helpful person to have um, as a resource for any of my questions that I couldn't really ask um, regular advisors since they weren't actually in the program and going to the schools. Got it. Yeah, there, there can always be limitations to the people who are advising you who will work for the school. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's some really great advice. Actually, regardless of whether you're an accelerated program or just a mm-hmm. general undergrad, is find someone who's in your program and maybe a year or two ahead of you who has some some advice. I think in this situation, it's too bad your mentor, or maybe she did, didn't do abroad because that would have maybe tipped you off that, oh, maybe I could mm-hmm. do this too. Um, so, uh, Megan, such great advice and always really helpful to get the perspective of someone who's actually doing a program like this, um, rather than just kind of us talking about getting into one of them. So thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're going to take, thank you so much. Um, We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about need-based financial aid awards and why they are not all created equal, so don't go away.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with co-hosts Thomas Rosenberg and Ronnie Langer-Kroger. The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as we speak with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We are talking about need-based financial aid awards. And uh, one of my favorite guests, Shannon Vasconcellos, is here to talk to us about that. Now I feel badly. I feel like I'm choosing amongst my children when I say you're one of my favorites, but you're often on one the of show. Many and we, one of many, exactly. Um, right. And Shannon, <laughs> as you can tell, Shannon works here at College Coach. Uh, she's also a former financial aid officer at Tufts and Boston University. Um, hi, Shannon. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, so we got a question a couple of weeks ago uh, from one of our listeners to the podcast, and um, we love it when you guys send in your questions, and if you want to send in your questions, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica.gmail.com. Anyway, someone sent us a question. The question was, why do different colleges offer different financial aid awards? And we realized that this was a way bigger question than we could just right. kind of answer, right, in our typical Q&A. 
And so this week, you and I are going to talk about need-based aid. And next week, and next week's show, um, Sally and Kathy are going to talk about merit-based aid, so merit scholarships. Um, So I think the big question here that, that the overarching question is, I make a certain amount of money. I have a certain amount of money saved. Um, I qualify for need-based financial aid. Shouldn't I get the same from every single school? And that's what we're talking yeah, about would, today. You would think, right? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, tell, tell us, I know there's a number of different reasons. So why don't we talk about the first and probably primary reason why the yeah. awards might differ? Yeah. So the first reason, and that there are a bunch of them, and I think I have it narrowed down to five that we have time to talk about today, but the first reason that awards could differ is based upon the cost of the school. So kind of at the very highest level, uh, you know, every college does this basic calculation to determine how much need-based financial aid eligibility you have. Uh, and what they do is they, when you fill out the FAFSA form, the financial aid application, they calculate this number called your expected family contribution, and that's based on your income and your assets, how much they think you can contribute towards a year of schooling. Then what they do with that number is compare it to how much they cost. Um, And if your expected contribution is more than what they cost, you don't have any need-based aid eligibility. If your contribution is less than what they cost, the difference is your need-based aid eligibility. Um, So basically, the higher the cost of the school, the more financial aid eligibility you have. So you can imagine a scenario where a family, you know, based on their income, they have a $30,000 a year ESC you know, what does mm-hmm. that actually mean? Well, that means that a state school that might cost 25000 the, the school thinks they can afford it. They have zero financial aid eligibility. But at a private school that might cost 70000 a year, they've got $40,000 of aid eligibility. So the mm-hmm. more expensive the school, the more financial aid eligibility you just naturally have. So you could have the same income, but very different financial aid eligibility based on the cost of the school. Right, which is... Pretty basic and makes a ton of sense. Um, Another interesting, um, I I think a second big reason is different schools use different financial aid applications, correct? That's right. Yeah. So I actually just oversimplified a second ago when I said you fill out the FAFSA and they determine your ESC. Every college uses this FAFSA application, but there are about 300 almost entirely private colleges in the country that use an extra application called the profile. The profile form asks some different questions, has a different formula associated with it. So you can see very different financial aid awards based on if a school just uses the FAFSA or if they also use that profile form. Uh, I would say the families who are going to see the biggest difference um, between schools that use the fa- just the FAFSA or the FAFSA and the profile are families who have a significant amount of home equity. Uh, your home equity is invisible on the FAFSA. It's not taken into account at all, um, but it is considered an available asset at schools that use the profile. So if you've got a lot of home equity, that can really change a financial aid award. And the other um, big subset of folks that it's going to make a big difference for are divorced families. Um, The FAFSA just looks at the custodial household uh, and their finances, whereas most schools that use the profile are looking at custodial household and non-custodial households, including kind of any step parents involved. Um, So if you have a 
um, let's say, a very wealthy non-custodial parent, you are going to get a much higher ESC, um, much lower financial aid eligibility at a school that uses the profile. Right. Yeah. Um, definitely, we have seen that play out for sure. And it can start yeah. to make some of those schools that just require the FAFSA significantly more appealing because, Absolutely. you know, a, Again, and this is not necessarily where we're going to be talking about this philosophically, but there is a difference, right, between um, often between what colleges assess you at being able, what they think you can afford, and what you really do truly feel comfortable writing a check for. Um, oh, 100%. Those numbers are usually not even in the same ballpark. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. So what's uh, what's another big reason? So we've knocked out two of them. Well, what's a third reason yeah. um, that they can differ? Yeah, they can. Financial aid offers can differ just based upon how much money the school has, you know, how rich of a school they are. Uh, I was actually just listening to our podcast from a, a couple of weeks back where um, one of our colleagues was talking about financial aid um, at the Ivy League schools. And she talked mm-hmm. about how, okay, how Harvard has existed since 1636, <laughs> you know, not long <laughs> after the pilgrims came, you know, Harvard was set up. Um, they've had, you know, hundreds of years to accumulate this huge endowment during most of Harvard's history. They were really just educating very wealthy people. So now they have all of these very wealthy alumni donating money to the school. A school like Harvard is just flush with cash and can therefore afford to be more generous with financial aid offers as opposed to, you know, newer schools that don't have that long history, more uh, economically diverse schools um, that don't have such high alumni donations, public schools who are dependent upon state funding. They're just not going to have as much money to throw throw around. Um, so if you are likely to see a more generous financial aid offer from a very rich school because they just have the money to, um, to play with. Um, we, there are actually very few colleges who guarantee that they will meet every student's full calculated need level. Um, I know because I wrote a blog post on it <laughs> last fall. Um, there are 73 of them out of the 4,000 colleges in the country. Only 73 guarantee they'll meet every student's full need. You can find that post on our blog, um, by the way, if you go to blog.getintocollege.com and search for most generous colleges. It'll get you there if you want to <laughs> know what the 73 are. But they're very, very rich schools. Um, and so if you go to a school that does not have so much money, they may or may not meet your full needs. So you may see uh, a much less generous financial aid offer. Right. Um, and then the next one is uh, in a big one. Um, and it's certainly something that you can see play out at schools that don't award merit aid and only award financial aid, but may package some students a little differently. So talk to us about the fourth reason, which has to do with the student. Yeah. So at those schools that can't afford to meet everyone's full need, they've got this, you know, pot of money, limited money. And they say, okay, it's not enough to meet everyone's full need. Whose need are we going to meet? Whose need are we not going to meet? Um, So how you stand out in their applicant pool or not, Um, can really make a big difference in what kind of financial aid that you're offered. Um, When I worked at Boston University, for example, we did not meet every student's full need. We didn't have the funding for that. Um, So, again, we had to decide whose need we're going to meet, whose need we're not going to meet. So Mm -hmm. um, 
student files would come to us in the financial aid office with a ranking by the admissions office of, I think it was one through eight based on, that was telling us basically how badly the admissions office wanted to recruit this student. So the top students academically, you know, would raise our average test scores and all of that, move us up in the, in the ranking systems, the athletes, the students who would increase the diversity on our campus, the students who were from small states we didn't get many applicants from who would allow us to brag that we had students from all 50 states on our campus, legacy students because we wanted to please their alumni parents. You know, Mm -hmm. those students would be ranked like one through three. They would get their full need met. Um, But other students who maybe just barely qualified academically who didn't fulfill some specific demographic niche on our campus. Uh, we didn't care as much if they enrolled. Those might be ranked, you know, sevens or eights, and they would get no grant money at all from BU. And then mm-hmm. ranked, you know, kind of somewhere in between, might, might get, you know, a small grant but wouldn't get their full need met. So how you kind of stand out or not in the school's applicant pool um, can really um, make a big difference in terms of what kind of financial aid you end up being offered. You might have the exact same level of need as another student, but if they um, meet some um, meet some other type of need that the school has, you know, they're the, one of the top students that we've accepted, where mm-hmm. we may meet their full need and we may meet very little of your need. Right. Got it. That makes sense. Um, okay, so that's four. We have one more, number five, and this is a good one. And I <laughs> opened the show by talking about um, how seniors certainly shouldn't just now be thinking about starting the college process. If they've been listening to the show, they've been working on things all summer long. Um, but talk to us about the fifth reason. Yeah, so the fifth reason is the timing of your application essentially whether you apply on time or if your application is late. Um, you know, deadlines can be very, very important in, in both the world of college admissions and the world of, of financial aid. Um, so make sure when you've got, you know, your list of schools you're thinking of applying to, make sure you go to all their websites, find out what their deadlines are. Um, at some schools, honestly, it doesn't make much of a difference and they will just keep awarding money, you know, until they run out, essentially. At other schools, you are one day late and it costs you thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, so, you know, you could apply to, say, you submit your financial aid application on February 15th. Um, and one of your schools you're applying to has a March 1st deadline. You're in great shape. You may see a very generous financial aid offer. But another school you're applying to actually had a February 1st financial aid application deadline. Mm-hmm. So you're two weeks late for them. You might see no financial aid at all. Um, so you yeah. just want to make sure that you're submitting your applications on time. That, that's an easy one. Some of this stuff you can't control, but you can control if you apply uh, on time or not. So make, I want to make sure that folks do that. Apply on time, hit your deadlines. I mean, these are Uh some basic, basic things, people. So make sure you do it. Um, Other than that, other than applying on time, anything else that you can do as a student to maximize your chances of receiving a more generous financial aid award? I think that one of the biggest things is really applying to a nice, balanced list of colleges, and I know that we talk about it all the time, both from the admissions perspective and from the financial perspective, Um, but I think because, again, you can't control all of this stuff and you don't, um, 
what you can control, again, is applying to a nice balanced list of schools. So you may mm-hmm. want to have some reach schools on that list. Uh, for financial purposes, some of those reach schools, those that are reach schools for most people, very, very um, selective, very, very rich private schools can be the most generous with uh, need-based financial aid, and they will guarantee, again, that they'll meet every student's need. So if you can get into one of those schools, you may find them being the most generous with need-based aid. Uh, on the flip side, you also want to make sure you have a few safety schools on your list, schools where you are going to stand out from the crowd, where you are above average, because, again, it's schools that don't meet everyone's need, which is most schools out there. Uh, if you're above average, if you stand out from the crowd, they are more likely to meet your need. They're going to want to recruit you. They're going to be very generous with you. So I think having that nice balanced list of schools is really key. Got it. And the last question for you, is there any way to know in advance what financial aid um, a specific college is going to offer you? Yes, there is nowadays. Uh, at least a pretty darn good estimate of what financial aid they'll, they'll offer you. Uh, and every college nowadays is required to have what they call a net price calculator on their website. Uh, we actually did a full segment about net price calculators back in November of 2017. So if you want to learn much more about net price calculators, because I know we're out of time, go listen to that segment. But they will basically, you plug in your basic financial info, they will uh, estimate what financial aid you will qualify for from that particular school. So those are an awesome tool that we have nowadays that we didn't have a few years ago. I would not apply to any college without first filling out their net price calculator um, and knowing um, at least a pretty good estimate of what kind of financial aid they're going to give you and what your actual, that, what the actual cost of that school will be to you. So definitely any school you're thinking about, fill out the net price calculator on their website. Awesome. Shannon, thank you so much. Uh, as always, super helpful. And uh, I also shout out to the listener who submitted that question that inspired yeah. this segment and the one we're going to mm-hmm. do next week, um, because I think they're both um, really valuable. So thanks again. Very welcome. All right. We're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, we're going to in office hours, we're talking about changes to the common app, which was just released Uh, for the 2018-2019 season yesterday. So don't go away. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. 
Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. We are ready to do the Office Hours segment in the show today. And um, if you've been listening, I already told you what we're going to be talking about. But if you are just tuning in, um, we're talking about the Common Application. It just uh, premiered yesterday for the 2018-2019 College admission cycle, that those numbers are a little terrifying to me just because how did we get here already? Um, but I am very excited to welcome Elise Krantz, who is a former admissions officer at Bennington College and Barnard College. And uh, here at College Coach, really our resident common application expert, she does a whole blog series for us every year about the Common App um, for that year. So if you're interested in the latest and greatest, you're going to want to check that out. Those will be coming out. Um, But for the purposes of today, we're talking um, about this year's version of the Common App and um, some of the changes that we're going to see. But Elise, welcome, first of all. (laughs) Hi. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Um, and, and actually, since you're the one who's going to be working on them, are you doing a blog? You're doing a blog series this year on the Common App, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I, I haven't yet laid out exactly what all of the details will be, but usually we provide some kind of either a walkthrough or highlighting changes or really going into depth into certain areas of the application that people often have the most questions about just to provide some tips and suggestions for making the most of the application. All right. So everybody, we will let you know when that's out, but you can always also, you can um, register for our blog and it will be delivered right to your inbox. So something to think about. All right. So Elise, talk to me. You attended um, a few weeks ago, actually, you attended a webinar on the new Common App and you got some interesting facts. So before we dive into some of the changes, maybe um, there's some details that you could share with us um, just in general about the Common App. Absolutely. So the common application, it's been going strong now since 1975, and it's grown 
amazingly, from 15 members now to over 800 colleges and universities, not only in the United States, but really throughout the world now accept it. Um, and so in the webinar, they provided some interesting facts about some statistics related to the most recent admissions cycle. Um, and estimated it's about 1 million applicants, unique applicants, used the common application last year, and they submitted about 5 million applications. So there's a huge number of students who are using it, and based on the numbers, you can see it's about five applications average per student are are submitting. Um, And also interesting, the feature that students may have heard about this year, uh, it's now in its second year, I believe, it's the rollover feature, so that students even before August 1st, they're able to still create their Common App accounts and then just roll it over once the new application gets released. And about 500,000 students used that feature last summer. Um, So I imagine this year it'll be even greater as word gets out about how easy it is to create your application ahead of time and then just, as they say, roll it over, just restart it once the new Mm -hmm. application goes live. They also announced a couple of new members, which I thought was interesting. So for for colleges that joined this year, I just thought real briefly we could mention who those were. And the the big names really are the state schools. The Common App used to start primarily with private colleges, but now the state schools have really embraced it. So this year, Penn State, uh, Florida State, Oregon State, Michigan State, and the universities of Kansas and Iowa and Pittsburgh and Mississippi, they all now accept the common application. Huge. And our some of our Pennsylvania-based um, educators are cheering right now, and they don't know, really know why. Because, But just um, <laughs> I know that there is, when we learn who the new schools that have been added to the Common App are every year, we get excited when they are schools that a lot of our kids are applying to because it definitely can make the process easier if you're not having to work on separate essays and separate applications um, and you have a primary application. You may still have to do some additional specific writing for a school, but it definitely makes things a little bit more streamlined when um, all of the schools a student is applying to are on you know, one application most and, and most frequently for us, right? That's the common app. So mm-hmm. cool. So um, one shout out I did want to make when you were mentioning those students who started their applications early and simply rolled them over. That is absolutely an opportunity. So we have listeners who are in a wide range of grades. Um, I don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense for you to be filling it out if you are only a freshman. But for those juniors, um, certainly it's something that you could be thinking about this year um, and definitely working on, you know, by the end end of the school year and during the summer before the new application officially makes its debut. So shout out for that. Um, All right. So why don't we get into um, some of the changes that you're seeing as you go through the application this year? Sure. It's, It's interesting because in previous years, there have been massive changes. I mean, it was a few years ago, they changed 
their entire platform and there were crazy drop down boxes and glitches and it was it was a mess and so as the years have gone on the changes seem to have gone um it, they're they're much more streamlined they aren't uh as over the top and we're finding that they're just the enhancements they are making just are making the application that much easier more intuitive to use so there wasn't a whole lot of excitement around the changes for this year, which I guess is a good thing. Um, nothing mm-hmm. too drastic. I think one of the nice features that will really eliminate a lot of questions for students this year revolves around a feature that was new last year. It's called the courses and grades section. Mm-hmm. So this was something that was new last year. Students could enter basically their self-reported transcript, uh, listing everything from freshman year through senior year, what classes they took, how many credits they earned, the grades, the, the rigorous level, honors, AP, college prep, et cetera. And students were wondering, do I need to fill it out? Who's going to see this? If mm-hmm. I do fill it out, will everyone get a copy of it? It was confusing. It was a mess. And only a handful of colleges even require this new section. So what the Common App did this year, which is really nice, is that only if you add one of the colleges that requires the course and the grades section to your Common App college list will you even be allowed to fill it out. It'll essentially be grayed out, not an option, if you Mm -hmm. don't have one of those schools on your list, which is a nice nice feature. Awesome. Yes, I appreciate that. Thank you, Common App. Because yeah, it was, I know, right? it was they listen, to they listen to their, their, their constituents. It's great. Yes, that is good. Uh, one of the other features um, that they're doing this year, it doesn't affect a huge portion of the population, but it does come up occasionally um, in the demographics section, which is entirely optional. Students can choose to self-report their ethnicity, their race, their religion. Um, there's a question about for students who are identifying as American Indian or as Alaska Natives, in the past there hasn't really been space for students to explain whether or not they were enrolled in a tribe and if so, to provide a little more detail about that. So this year, it's uh, the new enhancement is that there will now be a drop-down menu to select the tribe in which they are enrolled if they are. And if they're not enrolled, they can still describe their tribal descendancy in a little text box. So it's just a nice opportunity for those students to provide a little more context and detail for their application. Got it. And, you know, that is a nice thing because it's also excellent to be able to, if not proved, prove certainly show that there is a greater affiliation than simply checking that box. Um, And for students who are in those, um, in those tribes, they will want to share that information. Um, The next, the next change sounds like it's a really good one for privacy purposes. Yes, there's there's two kind of changes that were privacy related. Um, The first one, and a lot of students are so reluctant to list their social security numbers anywhere now. You just, you have a lot of concerns about that and rightfully so. Um, And this year, the, any student who does enter a social security number, which is optional, by the way, if you are not applying for financial aid, you don't have to include it anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But if you do include it, it will be masked with a bunch of X's on the screen when you do a print preview of it so that if you're sharing it with a college counselor or a parent or, well, I guess your parents are allowed to see your social, <laughs> but anyone else, let's say that 
you didn't want them to have that private information, they won't see it. So it'll be just a, a little added security for when sharing the application with somebody outside of your immediate family. Got it. Yeah, I think um, I always think that's nice because I do look at applications with students and I'm always very uncomfortable in the, when the um, social security number is on there, especially if we're doing a print preview and we print it out. Now that's floating around in my office and what if I forget to shred it? It's just um, I'm, I'm very happy about that change because it has made mm-hmm. me certainly uncomfortable. Um what else? There are a couple more changes. Like you said, there weren't a lot, but there um, there was um, there are a few more to share with us. Yep. So the other privacy-related update really only affects students who live in or attend a school in a European Union country. Um, privacy policy updates. I think something happened recently with where everyone was getting all these emails yep. about the updates to your privacy policy. There was like this big to-do, right, globally. Mm-hmm. Well, it's now affecting the Common App, too, but only for students who live in an EU country. So for a bulk of our listeners, that they won't even have to worry about that piece of it. But if you are in a European Union country, you'll just see an extra privacy policy that you'll have to read through it and uh, give your consent about the collection of that data. Got it. That makes sense. And then one last change that you wanted to share. Right. So this was a new feature last year where they, on the recommenders page of the application, where students normally would enter information for their school counselor and for their teachers who will be writing letters of recommendation, the Common App uh, allowed students to enter the name of an advisor so that if you wanted to share it, for example, with your college counselor or with another trusted adult, you could then enter that person's name. They would get a copy, an email invitation to see your application, and they could review it, not make any changes. It would just be a view-only application. Um, and this way you could collaborate theoretically and provide some feedback. Um, that information, that advisor link used to be Mm -hmm. at the very top of the recommenders page. And I think a lot of students were getting confused about, do I have to do this advisor? Who is this advisor? How is this different Mm -hmm. from my school guidance counselor? So now that information about inviting an advisor is at the bottom of the recommenders page. Again, it's not a huge difference, but it's something that could help alleviate some some questions um, and difficulties that students might have. Got it. So we have still a little bit of time, and I, I have a few things that I always think would are useful um, for our listeners to know about. And since we have the resident common application expert here, I thought I would tap you with a few of those questions. Um, the I thought it was interesting what you mentioned earlier about how last year there were about a million users and collectively they submitted about five million applications. Um which means that they submitted an average of five. And I would love for that to reach everyone's ears who is lis- who are listening, which is namely that this is not, um, the Common App is not a reason to apply to 40 schools just because you can, because it's easy, um, because that's not the point of the Common App. It's to make it easier to apply to the schools that make sense for you to apply to. So I'm just going to throw that out there. That has nothing to do with the question I'm going to ask, Elise. Um, one, que- one question that does come up, though, with frequently is um, in a situation where a student 
has, let's say, so many of the schools on the Common App, um, or certainly many of those that our students apply to, have additional writing. So you write a main essay for the Common App, and then the schools will have supplements. And actually, in next week's show, we're going to be talking about supplemental essays. But sometimes I've had students write an essay for the Common App that is really great and really um, a, a really well done piece that is a perfect fit for another college's supplemental essay question. Um, and so then they wonder, well, I want this to be my main essay for five of the six schools I'm applying to, but for the sixth school, I want it to be the school's supplemental essay, and then I'm going to write a different essay for my main common app. And that involves them creating different versions of the application. What can you tell us about whether or not that's possible and how to go about doing that? It is easier than ever to make those kind of changes. It used to be the case where you would have to manually create these multiple versions of your application and you were limited to certain numbers of copies. It was a mess. Um, and the <laughs> wonderful people at the Common App, listen, again, it's, they're, so, they're so responsive to the needs of students. Um, mm-hmm. And they realize that there shouldn't be a limit on making changes to your application, and it's okay to cut and, to use one essay for your main you know one essay for your main common app essay in, for one school, and then maybe use it as the supplement for the other. So all students have to do, if that does apply to them, is that when they go to submit their application for one particular school, let's say it's for Penn State, and they're using an essay about let's say why they love food science and baking, and that's their main mm-hmm. essay. But let's say Penn State also happens to have a question about why do you want to study your major. All of a sudden, that food essay essay should really become a supplement. All you do is cut and paste from your main essay into the supplemental section and then enter a new essay for your, the main essay, and you can submit it just to Penn State. And then when you go to another school, you're just reversing that. You could just recut, repaste. Um, so it's really, it's because you're applying to each school individually, one school at a time, each submission happens separately. You can theoretically tailor your applications for each school if necessary, um, based on the essays and the prompts that are given. Awesome. Elise, thank you so much. I think that's a really great tip. Um, I do want to be clear that neither Elise nor I are recommending that you do a completely different application for every school that defeats the purpose of the common application, but that when it does make sense to do so, that is a possibility for you. So um, it's not you submit it to one school and now you can't make any changes to it. Um, Elise, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, I want to also thank all of my other guests, Megan and Shannon. Um, Next week, we have a great show. Sally is hosting because I'm on vacation. Um, I will be back eventually, but I'm going to be gone for at least two weeks um, from the show. Um, And she's going to be talking about when to take SATs and ACTs, how to start thinking about that. Um, we're going to do another segment in the whole question of why the awards might be different from the different schools. And in this case, it's going to be uh, with a focus on merit-based financial awards. Um, in office hours, we're going to be talking about the who, what, where, when, and why of supplemental essays on the common application. Um, if you have questions for us, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. You could also follow us on Facebook um, and you could also get free downloads of this podcast um, right from iTunes. 
And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.